1: Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I get to welcome back my friend, Owen. Owen, welcome back, man. Much,
0: Dave. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah,
1: it's great to have you. Uh, can you just catch us up? What's going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what writing projects you're working on, or even rap projects? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Right now, um, uh, I'm in a public place, so if listeners are wondering about that, uh, I've gotten out of the house, I successfully escaped. So don't tell anyone. Um, that's a joke. Bad joke. Uh, yeah, it's been an interesting season. I've been working on some different things with Midwestern, teaching some classes. Um, we uh, we navigated. Different School issues, you know, uh, switch to homeschooling. So, anyway, it's been a good season for us, and um, I've been off the road, not traveling uh, like the rest of the world, uh, for three months or so. So, life has really slowed down, and there's been a lot of good there.
1: That's wonderful, brother. Are you working on any new uh, writing projects or anything like that?
0: My next writing project that I have under contract is on the Atonement. It's called Jesus the Warrior Savior, and it's with ENR, but it doesn't come out for a couple years. I'm taking, taking a while to build up to to it and read for it. Um, I, I hope that it will be kind of in the vein of John Stott's Cross of Christ and, uh, and be a go-to resource answering major challenges to the Atonement uh, and then, of course, most significantly unfolding a, a theological and biblical theological account of the Atonement with a special focus on uh, how cross and kingdom are intertwined. Sometimes those two themes aren't always connected, in my view, as much as they should be. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out.
1: Man, that sounds really great. I can't read it. And uh... Yeah, Stott's book is absolutely fantastic for those of you that haven't checked it out. So I'm looking forward to reading that, brother. Thank you. Kenny, you uh, just tell us a little bit about this, uh, these books. Uh, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality and transgender, transgenderism? With Gavin, why you guys wrote them and how you hope it'll, how you hope they'll be received?
0: Yeah, we were trying to answer some of the major challenges of our time. The questions of our day are, in so many cases, anthropological. In other words, related to the doctrine of humanity and the doctrine of sin. And so, we saw these issues cropping up a few years ago and realized that we needed a deeper approach to both homosexuality and transgenderism than simply uh, talking about psychology or your background or these sorts of things. We didn't see a whole lot of resources that took a, a moral and theological approach. Furthermore, there's been a lot of discussion in recent years about how you can be a gay Christian or you can be a transgender Christian. Even in seemingly solid evangelical circles that language is, is used frequently and we believed in thinking together and talking together that you have to understand sin really at four different levels or I could say at least four different levels. You have to understand sin and the human person in light of identity, thinking, feeling and acting. We tend to think of sin only in terms of that last level. The acting level, of Oh, I said something you know hurtful to my spouse or my friend, or oh, I, I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. Uh, oh, I you know I, I didn't didn't read my Bible as much as I should have. Those kind of things. In reality, we're all tempted uh, to sin in terms of our identity, in terms of our thinking, in terms of our feeling, and yes, in terms of our acting. So these books, uh, Dave, are really an attempt to see sin in light of those four categories, but then uh, especially to see just how powerful the Grace that is in Jesus Christ is. It's grace that is so strong that it transforms us in all four areas.
1: Yeah, that, that's really good. Um, you know, what, what's so challenging about the—I've been working in a little bit in the, in the gay Christian area, uh, writing in the last couple of uh, weeks— What's so challenging in in your view about that particular interpretation?
0: Well, what's challenging is that we're encouraged to make our sexual proclivities our identity today, and that poses an extra challenge um, to Christian witness today. This isn't something that the gospel is insufficient for. It's not something that the scripture fails to answer. You know, we want to frame this rightly. However, we do need to recognize that in the areas of both homosexuality and transgenderism, people are encouraged to think of these things not just as behavior behaviors uh, or actions, but as their very identity itself. So as a result, when we speak up and we say it's sinful to have the inclination uh, towards uh, a same-sex attraction, it's sinful to have the, the what we call gender dysphoria, to feel like you're trapped in the wrong body. Even these inclinations and feelings, these, these thoughts, this identity is sinful. But when you start to say those kind of things, people hear you not just as calling out um, what they do, but as essentially doing violence to who they are so that's a
1: that's a challenge today for sure yeah I grew up in Seattle and um, as you know no doubt that that is a hotbed for homosexuality and and I would often talk to people hey this is your this is this is what you're saying this is your identity your whole person your whole value and uh you know they would they not necessarily because they knew I cared about them you know these were conversations in the context of relate a, a, a friendship or a relationship with that particular person and and that I think is important you know saying th- saying those hard things you know you don't just walk up to somebody i think on the side of the road and or on the on the street and and start just hammering away at these things i think that there has to be some sort of context for these types of conversations otherwise as you said i think people misunderstand
0: yeah well we have to make clear Context certainly we would prefer to have you know a friendly context to talk these things through. Although I, I for one wouldn't limit our witness to that on these or any other issues. Right. Uh, we do want to make very clear that our culture has trained us all in a doctrine of love that is very feelings driven. So if we're not affirming somebody, then we're again we're doing violence to their identity. We're hostile to them. Uh, we're we're all in a, an age of expressive individualism where we all. Get to perform who we are and no one can really say anything against that. So to be in such a climate is very interesting for Christians because fundamentally the gospel is a no before it is a yes. In other words, the gospel comes to us and announces that we have sinned against God not just done some wrong things, not just failed to do a few actions that we should do, but we have comprehensively turned away from God. We hate God. We blaspheme God every day we live and so the Christian gospel uh, does teach the Imago Dei so there is a sense in which we say something extremely positive about every human person—that we're all made in God's image—to be to be very sure. But then the, the, the reality is that image bearers have not glorified God as we should. In our sin, we have turned away from God. Our culture expects us to affirm uh, men and women uh, in whatever they're doing. But we have to make clear whether it's on um, whether it's on the sidewalk, whether it's in a preaching event, whether it's in a friendly conversation, uh, whether it's on an internet message board, whatever. it may be, uh, on Twitter, we have to make clear that the Christian gospel in no way affirms sinners in their
1: sin. It does something stronger, in fact, than offer affirmation of sinners in sin.
0: It offers transformation in the name of Jesus Christ. Sadly though, Dave, even evangelicals, even professing Christians, have bought into kind of a halfway gospel where, yes, we might say that some of your action needs to change, but your identity as a gay person, for example, well, that doesn't have to change. Mm. And again, if we're not careful, that that ends up being a half-gospel, not the whole gospel, which uh, which calls us to comprehensive transformation by the blood of Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. That's really well said. How, how would you counsel those struggling with and aiming to overcome a homosexual lifestyle or, or feeling uh, guilty as they've experienced sexual feelings for a member of the same sex?
0: I would counsel them by saying, we're all sinners. We've all fallen away from God. God made us in His image so every man and woman has infinite dignity and worth and potential value, and yet we have gambled that all away, and we have taken our God-given capacities for worship of the living God, and instead we have turned them to worship of the creation, worship of ourselves, worship of idols. One such pursuit, idolatrous pursuit, is pagan sexuality, ungodly sexuality. So a person who has those instincts and those lusts needs to know that even that impulse in a homosexual direction or a transgender direction is sinful and and not glorifying to God. So we want to make sure that we're clear, again, that the gospel is a no to our sin. We want to make clear that every person is, is fallen. Every person is a sexual sinner of some kind. It doesn't mean that we all express that in exactly the same way, but we all are in desperate need of God's grace, every last one of us. But the solution to this terrible situation, again, is not to say to this person who has the these feelings, wanted or unwanted, oh, you're fine. That's okay. That's the way That's the way God made you. The solution is to say, actually, the way out of this, of this predicament is for you to repent of all your sin, of every impulse, of an ungodly identity, ungodly thinking, ungodly desiring, and ungodly acting to turn from it and to turn to Jesus Christ, uh, who offers us true satisfaction, true hope, and true transformation. Uh, that's what we offer sinners. We don't come to them and say, you know, you you can you can have a behave, behavior change gospel where you stop doing certain actions but you can keep your old identity. We say in Christ you become a new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen. So this doesn't mean that you become sinless in the moment of your conversion, but it does mean that you are now oriented not toward the world but to Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, that's that's really really good. You know maybe a similar this is similar, but what does it practically look like to leave behind the snare of homosexuality?
0: Yeah that's a great question. It looks like on a daily basis, checking in with those four categories, uh, studying Scripture, praying continually, and remembering specifically that in Christ, I do not have an ungodly identity. I have a Christian identity. Uh, I am not ruled by ungodly thoughts. I have a transformed mind, Romans 12. Uh, I am not mastered by ungodly desires, evil passions, the Scripture calls them. Colossians 3 would be one text that does. Instead, I have... Have the power of new affections. I've been given new affections, new desires by God, such that I put off the old man of God new. And then, yes, I, I don't do what I used to do. Uh, I don't go where I used to go. I don't commit the, the actional sins that I used to commit. But when I do, when I fall in any of those four categories, as sadly every Christian does in different ways, then I begin the cycle anew. I confess my sin to God. I repent of it. I turn from it. I break with It in any practical form I can, and I ask God to give me uh, a new hunger, a fresh hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then I take any practical steps I can in that positive direction. So I take any negative steps I can. In other words, I distance myself from sin at any of those four levels, and then I embrace Christ, Christ in any of those four levels as well.
1: That's really well said. Really well said. Uh, How does Genesis one through two lovingly help confront the transgender worldview? Yeah, it
0: teaches us that God made us either a man or a woman. So that's true of every single person uh, on this earth. There are some children born uh, with a condition uh, that's called uh, disorder of sexual uh, differentiation, I believe it's called. And, uh, and that, that is a condition where a child has both male and female genitalia. That's not a, a condition, though, that we should see as any positive condition. Indeed, if there is a, a male chromosome in a child in that situation, that child should, be, should, be, uh, uh, should, should inhabit through surgery through guidance of parents uh, and and loved ones, a male identity. Okay, but that that specific instance aside, Dave, which always comes up in this conversation. Again, in Genesis one and two, God has made us either a man or a woman for His glory. So we might feel because of Genesis three, because of the, the fall, the real historical fall of a real historical Adam, like we are trapped in the wrong body. We may have a, a past that is broken. We may have had honestly awful things done to us that, in some form, warped us and messed us up. None of that changes though the reality that God makes us a man or a woman calls us to live in a new covenant sense as a Christ centered man or woman for his glory. So the creational design of God is good it has not changed, it has not been edited though our, our culture says it has and in Christ all of us are called to live into godly manhood or to live into godly womanhood by the power of divine grace.
1: I think what you're showing already is, is that I think there's a view out there in our secular culture. It says, well, Christians don't have good answers to questions. And so, you know, I should just not be a Christian. What you're showing is that Christians have good answers on these tough questions.
0: I hope so. I hope we show that we don't just have kind of a an additive to a psychotherapeutic self-help worldview where we approach let's say transgenderism in a in just the way that a secular person would but then we start talking about how god loves all people we don't want to fall into that trap we don't want to fall into that paradigm we want to we want to speak as believers as if we are standing on the solid rock of god of his word and thus as if we know the truth because we surely do we know the truth and no other system fully accounts for the truth no other system is the truth colossians 2 8 so yes we we have on these difficult issues uh homosexuality and transgenderism we have the truth that every sinner needs it's not just that we have some some mild affirmations to bring to the table but we let secularism do the real heavy lifting counseling an individual through these things no we practice biblical counseling. Uh, for individuals who are going through uh, a battle with same-sex attraction, uh, a battle with feeling like they're trapped in the wrong body, what's sometimes called gender dysphoria, and and we approach these issues furthermore as if there's moral and theological wisdom here that the church has to offer, calling sinners away from these sinful practices and mentalities, thoughts, and identities, and calling them into a fully Christian uh, identity, thought pattern, uh, affectionate, State
1: and action. That's really, really good. In, in what way is transgenderism a modern form of the old heresy, Gnosticism, And how does biblical manhood and womanhood Speak to the issue of transgenderism
0: Gnosticism has various forms Throughout history and church history Yet it fundamentally is the view That the soul is pure And the body is in some form Not pure, corrupted And so the soul knows Who the person truly is And the body is not necessarily Reflective of that In our age, an update of Gnosticism Would be that uh, we have this Identity, but the body does not necessarily correspond to our true identity. So that's what we're seeing all around us. People say, well, this is the body I have, but my body isn't actually reflective of my true identity. One term here that's used is brain sex. I have have a biological sex. Let's say I have the body of a man, but my brain sex is female. That's become a, a common concept in psychological circles to separate biological sex, you know, your body, your anatomy, from your brain sex, your actual true identity. The the, the Word of God, again, though ancient, speaks to these very modern realities, and it teaches us that if we have the body of a man, we have the identity of a man. If we have the body of a woman, we have the identity of a woman. The Old Covenant law actually speaks to this. It speaks to not dressing in the clothes of the opposite sex, and that principle is reinforced in the New Covenant, the covenant which we are under uh, in this era. The New Covenant in 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us that same principle, that men are to look like women, and women are to look different than men in terms of parallel to the fullest possible extent of course 1 Corinthians 11 so that means then that the scripture is telling us that there is no tension between body and identity again because of sin because of sin in us or sin done to us that then takes root in us we may feel like there is tension and the Gnostics are right that there's a differentiation between our body and our, our identity but scripture will not allow uh, that distinction to be made
1: uh, That that's a really really good answer really good uh, how does Union with Christ reorient our perspective towards the challenge of homosexuality and transgenderism?
0: Gavin Peacock writes the Union with Christ slash gospel chapters in these two books that we're covering. What does the Bible teach about homosexuality and what does the Bible teach about transgenderism that he and I have just published about a month ago? And in those chapters, Gavin makes very clear, uh, as I fully agree with, that we are not we are not the old man anymore. We are a new man. We are remade made by Christ. We have a new name, we have a new nature, we have nothing less than, in Christ, Romans 6, Romans 8, uh, a new identity. So so we are a saved saved people as Christians, and that means that we cannot yoke ourselves in any way to the old man, to our old identity. We don't have union uh, with the devil. We have union as Christians with Christ. And the bond of our union is the Holy Spirit indwelling us. What this means and practically Dave, is that we cannot fall prey to in any way trying to link ourselves with sin. We are tempted to do that in all sorts of ways as believers. In fact, in an ongoing way and a daily basis, we all lose sight of our union with Christ and in some way try to unite ourselves with a sinful identity, thought pattern, feeling pattern, or action. In truth, though, when we remember that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, we go back to that foundational theological principle and us that that helps us return to the truth in actional form. We have to do that continually. We have to continually remember as Christians that I am not the old man. The old man pulls at me. It's sort of like somebody who kicks alcoholism. You're no longer an alcoholic, let's say. But you still have those instincts, those old instincts that pull at you in different ways, in different times. That's that's how we should understand the Christian with regard to our sin nature and our struggle with sin. We're not mastered by sin. Romans six teaches us that the power of sin is broken by the cross of christ the resurrection of christ nonetheless we still have some of those old instincts those old patterns that that try to get us to ensnare us we're not mastered by them uh, but we have to fight them and claim the glorious reality of union with christ every day we live mm,
1: that's so good so good what, what are some of the best ways pastors and bible teachers can address the challenge of homosexuality
0: they need to preach about it according to the Word of God. They don't need to do some sort of you know theological aerobics class where they always talk about it and, and can't stop talking about it. but what they need to do is they need to expound the whole word of God from the pulpit and they need to make very clear what godly sexuality is and what ungodly sexuality is. In addition, in addition to that morning pulpit uh, work on on Sundays, pastors can also do teaching and equipping classes, uh, discipleship settings, foster this, where a church lays these things out in further detail. So a pastor, of course, isn't going to do a seminar, a three-hour seminar from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, but churches have full ability to do, you know, equipping and and classes, so to speak, on these matters, and I would very strongly encourage them to do so. And it's our hope, Gavin and my hope, that this trilogy, this sexuality trilogy, what does the Bible teach about lust, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality, and what does the Bible teach about transgenderism can be a means to that end, so that that, frankly, a pastor doesn't have to write a whole new curriculum. Uh, he could do that. That's a great thing to do if he wants to. But he also could use, a team of elders can adapt and use this material that we have done. Uh, these are short, readable books, uh, about 30,000 words apiece. So, again, not long at all. These aren't dense. There's not a lot of footnotes. They're not aimed at scholars. They're aimed at the church. They're aimed at laypeople, and they're also aimed at pastors who can take them and use them and break them down, you know, in a, in a class or a four-week session on um, Christianity and paganism, these sorts of things. If pastors would do this, Dave, we would see a lot more of our church members strengthened in the faith. These are not incidental matters, homosexuality and transgenderism. These are not small things today. Uh, These are issues that are confronting just about every Christian in the church in different forms, depending on where they work, depending on what school their kids go to, uh, depending on what their family uh, is experiencing in terms of chaos. And so pastors need to stop assuming uh, as some I think do, not all, that their people are just magically getting all the equipping they need on their own. When Gavin and I go and speak on these issues for churches or for conferences, frankly, we're, we're often kind of besieged by questions uh, from Christians who are, in some cases at least, not getting a lot of training on these matters. And it's my prayer, our prayer, uh, not in any kind of strident or upset way, but in a way that is deeply confident in Christ, the gospel, the whole counsel of God, it's our that pastors will really press in and equip their people, not not to not to win a battle in a cultural or political sense first and foremost, but to equip their people to speak the truth in love, Ephesians four fifteen, which entails knowing the
1: truth, loving the truth. That's really good. Uh, do you think it'd be helpful, in addition, you know, to preaching the from the word on these things, and 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 doing classes and things, to having a time set apart, uh, maybe after a class or maybe a whole class, just to take questions from people
0: oh i think that's a great idea absolutely when you do oh you just better be ready you better have your water bottle nearby <laughs> because you're going to be sitting there for a while answering all sorts of queries about homosexuality and transgenderism and practical effects and my cousin is in this position and uh the local public school is teaching you know a gender neutral androgyny and, um am i going to lose my job in my high level corporate workplace because i don't sign on to this sexual diversity statement I mean, I mean, just be ready. This, this is hitting the church. This is breaking over us like a tidal wave right now in 2020. And again, I don't want to say it's too late for pastors to hit these things. It's not too late. It's not too late at all. But this isn't like minute one <laughs> of this latest phase of the sexual revolution. This has been breaking over us now for several years, and it is all hands on deck. In saying that, though, I don't want to leave people with a, a scary note, with an alarmist note. I want to say this is, this is the time for the church to get equipped uh, and to speak the truth and love and to stand fast on the Word of God and to recognize that we don't need secular to instruct us on these, on these matters. We may learn certain things from medicine, from science. Sure, we're not scared of that, yet we have the all-sufficient Word of God and we have uh, the counseling tools in the Scripture, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, to take people who have been absolutely mangled and ruined by the sexual revolution and And put them together, put them back together by the grace of God that is in Jesus Christ. Are there going to be some complex issues, for example, if a person rejects uh, a transgender identity, a person who has undergone surgery or taken drugs? Yes, there are going to be some complex issues to sort through in terms of what repentance looks like, in terms of how far they can roll back, let's say, those physical effects. So there are some gray areas, Dave. Nonetheless, we have the truth that every sinner needs uh, to, to be restored and transformed. For God's
1: we that's really, really well said, brother. Really well said. What What advice do you have for parents in helping their children learn to navigate the challenges of transgenderism in public school?
0: Well, this is a sticky one. Um, fundamentally, what every Christian needs, and thus what every young boy or girl needs, is to be in a strong local church uh, that's teaching the truth. Um, frankly, there are some different educational directions that Christians are going to go. Some will do public school. Some will do Christian school. Some will do a classical school school. Uh, A good number are going to do something like a homeschool option, and I don't want to say that the Scripture lines out one of those options precisely. I do think, though, we do have to recognize that if our kids are in public school, certainly there is a much greater challenge than in other settings, and so we're going to to really need, as fathers and mothers, uh, to, to be walking closely with our kids. We need to do that anyway, but again, the stakes are that much higher on this matter, and so we need to, yes, have them in a strong local church. We want that local church to not be ducking these questions, but but handling them well in a gospel-shaped way. And then we as fathers and mothers need to walk closely with our children and talk through uh, this tumult that is playing out, let's say, at the local public school. And we need to make sure that we are clearly and boldly and unapologetically differentiating the Christian worldview from every secular worldview. And then if we are seeing our kids struggle on on these counts, we may even need to hold uh, from these kind of environments. Again, I'm not saying there's a one-size-fits-all here, but we want to we want to take great pains. Of course, some parents are going to see children who actually are strengthened uh, as they're in a godly church and in a godly home, and uh, and they're hitting these these uh, these struggles, but they are finding that the world is not overwhelming them, and that the word of God really does speak the truth. And so that can be a kind of testing situation uh, for some, uh, where their faith can end up even being strengthened. What we really need as a father and mother, uh, a godly married couple raising children, Dave, is we need wisdom about our own children. We tend to talk about these matters as if all Christian children, if they're saved, or all children being raised in Christian homes are the same. (laughs) And the truth is nothing, nothing could be further from reality. Children are all unique and different, made by God. Some are more tempted by secularism. Some, frankly, aren't as tempted by secularism. We need to know our kids, walk closely with them, and just make sure that we're not just Seeking to raise that. we're not just seeking to turn out adults, you know, at age eighteen or twenty-two or whatever it is. We're seeking to disciple them in the Christian faith.
1: I think what you just showed was uh, is a couple things. One, uh, being close to your kids really matters, mm-hmm. and and two, being intentional really matters. And you know, part of that is being involved in their lives and in exercising. You just demonstrated so well. Uh, the biblical category of wisdom and exercising it. So I, I think that, you know, and not focusing on, you know, this specifics necessarily, but, but general principles of Scripture and how they, how they apply to various things. I think that if we would think in, in those ways, as you just demonstrated so well, I think that we would be very well helped to uh, be able to navigate the, all of these challenges. Well,
0: we desperately need wisdom. Christians tend to effectively cut wisdom out of their lives as if that was an Old Testament category that I guess you can still read the Proverbs if you want, but it doesn't really apply anymore because we have grace. So all our lives are either kind of explicit biblical direction from a text or Christian freedom underwritten by grace, a big view of grace. We don't want to pit these things against one another, but as you just nicely said, we want to recognize that the gospel. Gospel breathes wisdom. The gospel breathes wisdom in a Christian mind, in a Christian heart. So there's no tension between the gospel and the wisdom, I don't think, in a new covenant walk with Christ. Instead, the one who was saved is being transformed from one degree of glory into another from a fool, which they once were, we all once were, uh, into a sound man or woman of God, into the image of Jesus Christ, uh, the one who is himself wise and wisdom. So we all need clear principles principles from the scripture we all need sound doctrine but what scripture and doctrine does then is send us out into a world filled with grayness <laughs> and filled with confusion and helps us navigate that world and live wisely similar context someone in a secular workplace when do you quit your job you know at what at what level does a, a public school teacher quit their job if the school is embracing the lgbtq revolution uh well you're going to need a lot of wisdom there aren't you, mm. do you Do you quit the first sign of any trouble? Do you quit midway through? Do you quit when the school is fully capitulated? When do you stay in versus when do you leave? We need wisdom. In our books, one last word here, going on a bit, but Gavin and I give an FAQ section at the end of what does the Bible teach about homosexuality and what does the Bible teach about transgenderism. And this FAQ section addresses a lot of these things that we're handling. The gray areas, how do I disciple my child if they're being pulled toward a transgender identity or what do I do if my child... Child, for example has same-sex attraction experiences that uh, how do I handle that as a father or mother in the FAQs we have about 14 15 questions at the end of each book week we try to give some pastoral wisdom which is which is not to say direct scripture because scripture doesn't necessarily address these things explicitly but we try to give some wisdom as much as we can on these counts
1: yeah that, that's really good and that that part is well worth the the, the whole book is good but that that part uh, is especially good I, I really appreciate that that was included so thank you guys Uh, where can where can people go to find out more about your work online or or otherwise brother
0: oh that's kind Um, I'm on twitter Uh, my twitter is at ostran O-S-T-R-A C-H-A-N I do some writing at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Seminary I teach Systematic Theology at Midwestern here in Kansas City, Missouri so you can find the center's work at cpt.mbts.edu cpt.mbts.edu those are a few places to go I have a public Facebook page so if you put my name Owen Strand into Facebook I'm, I'm kind of shifting from a personal or private Facebook page over to a public one because of the, the friends limit on the personal account so folks could find some of my stuff there uh, as well and then I've written uh, a few books and uh, you can find some of the books I've written on Amazon or your fine local Christian retailer nearby
1: would you tell us a little bit about your podcast too
0: ah uh, yes my podcast is entitled City of God um uh, stealing that from Augusta uh um, and on City of God, um, I try to engage these top issues in our culture and society uh, with biblical wisdom, with biblical truth, uh, with the word of Christ. So City of God is like a weekly or bi-weekly podcast, depending on the season of my life. <laughs> and it's been a lot of fun to do. I think I'm in year, entering year five pretty soon here. So folks can find that on iTunes. We've got, I don't know, several thousand subscribers. So it's, it's grown a good bit. Thankful for that. And uh, folks can find that at the CPT website website. Or on high to the city of God
1: oh, wonderful to hear that brother I'm so glad that's that's uh the lord is blessing that work so it's very good just as we uh wrap up here can you give us a few takeaways on on this subject or, or just any any thoughts on this that you might have as we wrap up
0: yeah I think my concluding thought would simply be this we have the whole gospel that ministers the whole Christ to use Sinclair Ferguson's lovely phrase, to the whole the whole person Said a different way a big vision of God drives a big vision of sin which drives a big vision of Christ. In other words, the greater God is in our framework, in our vision, the more majestic he is the more we recognize just how sinful we are. We recognize that sin is not just behavior, and the gospel is not a behavior modification gospel the way, sadly, even in evangelical circles today, I fear it is to some degree. Mm -hmm. Instead, the gospel changes us at the level of identity, thinking, feeling, and acting. Not just acting. It's all four of those levels. So we have a big Christ. We have a big gospel that changes us in all of those ways. We don't want to preach and teach and share a half gospel, a gospel that modifies your actions, but does no real damage to your identity and your thinking and your feeling. Instead, we want what I would say is the biblical gospel and we want a biblical Christ. We don't become sinlessly perfect when we trust Jesus. We all have to fight sin until the day we die. We all slip into, frankly, wrong thinking about our identity, uh, wrong thoughts about theology. We we certainly have, all of us, have, have moments where our desires and passions surge in the wrong way, not even in a meditated way, a flash of anger, a spasm of jealousy, a burst of lust. In these ways, in all these ways, we stray from God. We stray from our master, Jesus Christ. And yet, the the big gospel that we have in Scripture calls us back to Christ and calls us back to the transforming power of God's grace. So, that's what Gavin and I, in in this trilogy, in these three books, and in these two books we've been talking about on homosexuality and transgenderism, that's what we're trying to call for. trying to say sin is bigger than we know sin is a worse problem even than many christians know we've got to not cut it off at the level uh, uh, of the ground you know pull the weed up just at ground level we've got to pull this weed up by the root we've got to recognize this is a deeper problem than we may have admitted but christ is a greater savior than we have thought that's what i would say in conclusion
1: hmm. wonderfully well said brother I, I i so appreciate your clarity and your your biblical wisdom and and uh, exercise of a biblical discernment and and just your ministry as 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 a whole, I'm I'm thankful for you, brother.
0: Thank you, Dave. Thankful for you as well. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.